things that have been taking place in our nation and indeed around the world in the past week or so. Psalm 37, we're going to read the first nine verses of this. I hope you'll find that printed in your bulletin insert. We'll use it as a unison reading. Psalm 37 is in that category of psalms known as a wisdom psalm. So you'll hear some of the same ideas being expressed just in different ways, much like the book of Proverbs, for example. So uh, we're told this is a psalm of David, and let's read the word of God together. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land.
Lord alone did lead him. Now we know that Moses, we believe, wrote all of the Pentateuch, so he wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Moses spent a lot of time in the wilderness, and he was very observant. He had seen eagles do just this very thing, catching their young on their wings that's part of the flight school process that every young eagle must go through. I don't know if you've ever heard of a description of this, but when it's time for young eagles to learn how to fly, they don't know how to do that instinctively. And so mother eagle, for example, will take that young one in her talons and take off flying about a mile to two miles in altitude Somewhere through this process, mom clips her wings in and goes in a hunting dive, which can be up to 150 miles an hour, and passes by that little one as it's falling, and about 500 feet before the ground, flattens out, spreads out her wings, and catches the young one. And Miss This exercise is repeated over and over again until mom gets tired and she drops the young eagle in the nest and dad takes over. And they continue until that young eagle knows how to fly. This learning to fly takes perfect timing, as you can imagine, especially on the part of the adults. And what we need to understand is that God likens himself to an eagle in Exodus 19 when he tells Moses to tell Israel that you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So when we read a wonderful, comforting verse like that, we also have to remember how long the children of Israel years, and most of that time they were in slavery to the land of Egypt. As God implements his plans and purposes to our finite, impatient brains, he never seems to be in a hurry. And that's why I think we can read in his word over and over again the admonition to wait on the Lord. We see it in Isaiah 40. We see it in the prophets. We see it at least 15 times in the Psalms. We saw it in our text this morning, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. But that's not where this passage begins. Instead, this psalm begins reminding us that there are two basic reactions that we can have every day in this unpredictable and at times hard and disappointing world. And one reaction that we see quite often, one reaction 
We've seen that in our lives. We remember that He's just. We remember that He's compassionate. We remember that He's loving, that He's the builder of a plan of salvation for the whole world through the gift of His own Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He's an all-powerful God who brings His, His plan and His purposes to fruition in His own timing and in His own way. And when we see God for who He is, then we can't help but trust in Him. And this trust paves the way for us to do good. The same radio announcer at uh, 106.9 The Light, that's the station in Black Mountain. He, uh, I never knew his wife was a psychologist for this year because one day he was talking about how when terrible, tragic things happen in this nation like we just had, that, uh, you know, we tend to dwell on that and we watch the news more and more and we dwell on it and we become discouraged and we can depressed and we can at times even become fearful. And he was saying, my wife said not to watch the news all the time. My wife, the psychologist, says you need to go out and do something good for somebody. And that's good advice because that's exactly what this text says. That in the midst of evil, Focusing on someone else not only takes our mind off our own worries or anger or fear or whatever it happens to be, but as Spurgeon puts it, there is a joy and holy activity which drives away the rust of discontent. Now, I really think the 19th century people knew how to talk and how to, to communicate. I mean, look at what he said. speaks to this when he says, Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey, if we have faith and do good. The same thing. And trusting in God means that we remember what Isaiah teaches in another chapter, I believe it's 55, where he says, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, which means that his timing is not our timing. And thus our need to wait on him. As our psalmist puts it at the end of our passage, the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And of course, he's talking about the promised land. You see, that's a covenantal promise. And so the way we can apply that to our lives is that those of us who trust in God will see the fulfillment of his promises to us in our own lives. 
God told Noah to build an ark to save himself and that of his family from a flood which he would send. And if you read through Genesis 6 and 7, you can see how that took about 100 years. 100 years to build that ark, 100 years before those promised rains ever came that eventually covered over the whole earth and yet God was faithful to save Noah and his family just as he promised. God told Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. And did Abraham and Sarah get pregnant in the next year or two? No, it took 25 years. 25 years to wait on the Lord. And Abraham and Sarah found that they couldn't wait that long. And so Sarah, if you remember that story, gave her maid Hagar to Abraham. We can have the child of the promise this way. And they had Ishmael, which has caused problems in that part of the world ever since. Because they weren't willing to wait. And even in the midst of their faithlessness, God was still faithful. And 25 years later, Sarah
wait on the Lord. Sometimes they wait well with patience. Sometimes they wait poorly, or almost not at all. But we can see God over and over again bringing His plans to fruition. And on some occasions, just in the nick of time. Maybe He's done that for you in your life. Provided those monetary funds just when you need it. Right in the nick of time. Before the fear was due. Or maybe He gave healing when you didn't think it would happen. Or after many different attempts, the right job just happened to fall in your lap. I sometimes say to many of you who come and talk to me about certain things going on in your life, I say over and over again, you know, God, God doesn't mind making a plan. I've seen that happen multiple times in my life. Because that waiting is a character choice at times that shouldn't. Do we really trust in God? Are we really able and willing to let it go and just let God deal with it? And yet His unusual and impeccable timing is the very thing we're often amazed at the most. Think of Moses and the children of Israel hemmed in by the Egyptian army on the back and by the Red Sea on the front, and yet God makes a way where there was no way. Just like he promised Moses. Or think of David, anointed by Samuel the prophet as the next king of Israel when he was quite young. And then he had to wait for years and put up with King Saul chasing him all over the countryside, trying to kill him so that he wouldn't become king. And I'm sure that at times David wondered whether he ever truly would become king. I think we can see some of that in Psalm 13 when he says, How long, O Lord, will, will you forget me forever? How long is it going to be? But in his own timing, when the entire geopolitical situation was right, Saul was killed in battle. And David becomes king in a way in which all of the tribes can be united together and Israel can put her best foot forward as a nation. Had it happened some other way, or had it been forced before the timing is ready, which is usually what you and I try and do, who knows what might have happened. Or if you want one final See, it's all about 